You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to this episode of Modern Myth. This is Tristan the Anarchaeologist speaking once again with you all. Obviously it's a difficult time at the moment for everybody but we're getting through it and in order to make everybody's lives a little brighter I've decided to go as north as I can in Scotland to the wonderful world of Caithness. And Caithness is probably very famous now amongst archaeological circles for one thing, for one project. And to talk about being between a brock and a hard place, I have the wonderful Kenneth and Ian here from the Caithness Brock Project to talk about building a brock. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on to the show. Hello. Not a problem. It's an honour. So I'm just wondering, and uh, obviously some of my listeners are probably not familiar with what a brock is. So Ian, I'm going to pass it to you first. Could you describe to our the listeners what is a broch? Well, a broch is basically a large dry stone tower. Um, some people, some archaeologists have described them as basically a roundhouse on steroids. It's a huge 20 metre across, uh, up to 13 metres high dry stone construction. And these were prevalent throughout the north of Scotland, particularly the islands and Caithness and Sutherland throughout the Iron Age. So, uh, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, there's modern interpretations of buildings where we have a fire station and that's for the fire service and a house is for living in. But a broch is a strange kind of structure because it, it seems to be the catch-all structure of the Iron Age where lots of different activities are going on inside brochs. Uh, there's domestic activities, iron working, pottery making, storage of uh, grains and food. So it's it really is the kind of the, the castle of the Iron Age, if you like. And obviously, um, you call it the castle of the Iron Age, but it wasn't really a castle as we would understand the word castle. Obviously, there's not really, it's not got the same kind of connotation, does it? No, it's not a, It's not primarily a defensive structure, although a lot of people have uh, looked at Brox and, and thought they, they must have had a military application because of these huge stone towers uh, that look like they've got a, a defensive purpose. But it really, it's more of a, a homestead, but uh, with aspects of defence to it, you could say. Like... Yeah. So, Kenneth, uh, I want to actually draw to you. F- what was When was the first time that you saw a Brock in person? Hmm. Um... It's a good question. I don't think I can I can truthfully answer that because I may or may not have been taken around such sites as a child. I think that's how I kind of first developed my interest in archaeology and history was was by taking to um, taking around the places by my dad, uh, my mum and my dad actually uh, to the to the likes of Campster Cairns and things like that. So I may have seen one as a child and not remember it, 
But I think probably the one that sticks in my head visiting for the first time would be Nibsterbroch, which I helped to excavate in 2011. So not only did I see a brock, I kind of saw it kind of unshod, if you like, um, had to be sort of stripped away of all the turf and all the kind of bushes and everything that might obscure a brock normally and make it a little bit more impressive. Um, so I, it's probably sometime before 2011, but certainly when I when I did my first of excavation there in, in Nibster Brock in Caithness, um, I was I was really impressed. I think with with just the extent of the of the stonework of the buildings and of the kind of activity that would have gone on there as well. Mm-hmm. So was it that kind of feeling that inspired the Caithness Brock project, or how did the Caithness Brock project uh, come together? What, what what happened to form that? Well, Ian formed a Facebook page in 2000 and oh, it might be 2012, even earlier perhaps. Um, and before this, he had, he, had, he had always had the sort of idea to build a broch in Caithness as a means of um, encouraging growth and um, prosperity in the region. And that's especially important given that Dunry, the main employer of the area, is due to close down in potentially as early as, as 2045. And that was kind of the catalyst for the creation of the project and so in 2013 the, the facebook page was created and I, I i just was keen on this idea i was keen on archaeology but also keen on ensuring that caithness had a means to um, sustain itself and support itself over the next few generations um and so i thought that this was a really good idea and i offered my services kind of to ian and um, from from then on we've we've done a lot of things actually I'm just wondering, Ian, was there kind of like a vision and a broch angel came down from the heavens and <laughs> you woke up the next morning, threw the door open and, and said, I need to make a Facebook page. The broch angel was definitely Ken. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, was, what, was, what was going through your head at the time when you, what, what was the catalyst to that, you know? I mean, at the time, it's, it is a, a kind of a master project and a, a culmination of many ideas that all came together at one kind of time, you know. But I, I'd been working in Orkney and I'd spent a lot of time in the islands. And I was quite resentful, to be honest with you. A lot of my friends had moved away and I was stuck in these islands. And what happened at the time was I'd just seen lots and lots of tourists coming there. And I thought, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm... Uh, a bit annoyed that I'm stuck in these islands, but these people have come from all around the world to come and visit Orkney. And then I was thinking more about what goes on in Caithness, that the tourist tends to just drive right through Caithness to go to Orkney. And I thought, well, what is it that Orkney has that Caithness doesn't have? You know, why why do people pass through Caithness to go to Orkney all the time to see the just exact same things? Because if you know anything about Caithness archaeology, it's got the exact same things to offer as what um, Orkney does, you know? So it, it kind of came upon me. I thought what Caithness needs to do is offer something bigger, badder and better than what's on offer in Caithness and the, uh, than what's on offer in Orkney. And the only way to do that really is to to recreate the archaeology so that people go to Orkney, they, they, look, they look around, they see standing stones and, and ruins of brocks. But then Caithness says, on your way back through the county, uh, why don't you come and see a brock fully rebuilt? And that, that would be a... a a spectacular attraction that would that would uh, entice people to come to Caithness. It wasn't really just that. I kind of had a feeling that um, Caithness lacks a sense of cultural identity. 
whilst areas like Shetland have got their Vikings and Orkney's got their Stan and Stones and the, and the West Coast have has got the mountains, it's like what has Caithness got to offer? What is our sense of cultural identity? What is it? What's the remaining thing that people uh, have in their minds once they visited Caithness? And, and at the moment, it, it has very much been known uh, for Dunry only. But as Ken says, Dunry is being decommissioned. So in a few years' time, Caithness will really have to reinvent its sense of cultural identity. And the hope was that uh, by rebuilding a broch and creating an iconic tourist attraction, that that would uh, reinstall a sense of cultural identity. Because Caithness has more brochs than anywhere else in, in Scotland. So I'd like to think it's like the home of the broch, you know. And uh, the the state of research into brochs in Scotland in general, what does that look like? Are brochs well studied? Are they are do we know a lot about them, or is it actually something that's not that well studied? I think brochs actually, in terms of the Iron Age in the U in Scotland, I was about to say the the UK there, but of course there's there's no brochs anywhere else um, other than Scotland. But the, the Iron Age in general, I think brochs have managed to amass quite a lot of academic interest and writing and understanding and this stretches way way back to sort of antiquarian um, times as well when you had a real flurry of activity especially in Caithness when you had the likes of you know Joseph Anderson, uh, Tress Barry, John Nicholson, sorry uh, John Nicholson and um, Alexander Rind as well who were all who all excavated or were interested in Brochs and this is kind of kind of continued I think it maybe waned a little bit throughout the kind of middle of the of the 20th century but even there were people like Horace Fairhurst who came and excavated um, Crosskirk Brock in the 70s um, there were other brocks in the 40s I can't quite remember the name of the person who excavated Skitton Brock for example um, and then even through sort of like the the 21st century we have people like Martin Carruthers excavating brocks in Orkney we have Clack Tall we have AOC archaeology's investigations into into Baroque structures as well as as well as elsewhere in Scotland too. So I think that Baroques are relatively well researched, but I think there's always room for for there to be to be more. And I think that's you know, people want to see more as well. People want to join the excavations and I think there's just so much that we don't quite know about Baroques that they certainly merit further investigation. Yeah, I think Ken's got hit the nail on the head in saying that brochs have been done to death, really. Uh, I don't think there's a structure, a historic structure, that's been investigated as much as a broch. But what seems to be lacking in, in the research of brochs is not the excavation of more brochs. It's the, to synthesise all the data that's actually been found over these years into one vision. I think it's that that uh, Brock research kind of lacks a, a solid picture. Uh, if I say Romans, then straight away you, you get a Roman in your mind. But when I say Brock, there's so many uh, unanswered questions and there's not a, a great picture of that going forward. So I think what really needs to happen now is to synthesise all that, that's been understood about this uh, into one picture. And that's what the, the Brock project really hopes to do, is to look at all the different areas of research, whether it's whether it's in uh, foodstuffs or structural things, and to put it all together into an image of what Iron Age life was really like. I think it's really at one of the great levellers of archaeology too, Brock's, because Christine McLagan was one of, sort of Scotland's first archaeologists who was really interested in Brock's in the sort of Stirlingshire area as well. She created models of, of Brock's and drawings and wrote extensively on, on the subject. So they are... You know, historically, they've been a real um, interesting point of, of Scottish archaeology. 
I'm just wondering, um, obviously, the Kethans Project has um, done a lot of things in the last number of years, and you've hit quite a few milestones. What do you think the kind of the last couple of years, uh, what's been the kind of the biggest celebrations that you've had with the project? What are the big, biggest steps forward? Well, I would say that, that recently we've just about completed the uh, conservation of Ausdilbroch, and that's been a £180,000 uh, project. We had done community archaeology projects and small conservation jobs and other brochs, but this was our first foray into into big projects with bigger figures on them. And I'm sure you, uh, you'll appreciate that when we, when we started this, we, neither of us were archaeologists, you know, so I think it's, it's a, still aren't. a reasonable <laughs> mile. A reasonable milestone for us to get to to the point of working on uh, projects that are so big, um, as, especially as Ausdale Broch is probably what Caithness's best preserved Broch, you know, um, and we kind of fixed that up and made it uh, safe to public for public access and put a path in down to it. You know, uh, it's all part of the, the steps of process that the Broch project's got to take to get to our end goal. You know, uh, nothing we've done has been. Um, a fluke or an accident everything we've done has been a small steps towards a bigger goal you know you don't just walk into the office of funders and say i've got a great idea give us a million pounds you really got to start with some small projects and, and work your way up to it you know so i'd like to think that ousdale or ousdale project's been kind of icing on the cake in terms of steps up up to those levels of funding that we need to build the broch so obviously there are a number of brochs in the Caithness area. Um, are brochs contemporaneous with each other or are they signs of like uh, somebody wanted to build a brock in this century and then somebody else wanted to build another one close to it in another century? What do we actually know about how these brochs link to each other? I mean, um, I mean, when you say there's a lot of brochs in Caithness, what does that actually mean? How much is a lot of brochs? Well, there's about 200 brochs in Caithness, but um, there's maybe a, a falsity in uh, believing that that means there was 200 brochs occupied at any given time, or that there even is exactly 200 brochs. There's a lot of structures out there that, that fit the pattern of a broch, but haven't been excavated yet. And uh, upon further inspection, that they could be complex Atlantic roundhouses or just roundhouses, so they, they never reached the, the towering heights of Musa Broch, really, you know. But un until these brochs have been excavated and studied uh, properly, we'll never really know if they were what they really are, you know. So it's, it could be a bit misleading to say there's 200 brochs in Caithness. There's there's 200 structures that could be brochs. And I think looking at those different types of structures within that, you can see a progression and development of structural design over a longer period of time. You know, So in, instead of seeing that uh, brochs have been invented and all of a sudden there's 200 built over Caithness in the space of two centuries, you might be looking at... Um, some older structures there that um, were the precursor to the brochs basically and over time these have, uh, this design has been developed uh, until obviously there's there's more of them you know so you, you might see a few rudimentary structures and then nearby find another broch that looks a bit bigger uh, and it doesn't mean that the structures were contempt uh, contemporary with each other it might show that, that there's actually the progression and development of the design going on living in the landscape mm -hmm. And so it's a parliament of isles, it's a gaggle of geese. What is the collective noun for brochs? Devilment. Brochai. <laughs> Brochai. A nuisance, you know, I'm, maybe. I, I'm not, I feel like I'm giving a bad... But I've, I've just spent about 
two hours, two and a half hours tweeting everybody a picture of a Brock who wanted a picture of a Brock on Twitter. Um, and I've, I think I'm done in with Brock's right now, actually. Can we talk about Cranach's story? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I, I do, I do want to kind of get um, a little bit deeper into what what's quite important about these aspects of um, history that we come in contact with. You know, Kenneth, when you were talking about um, visiting Brox when you were younger, and you, it was, it seems to be quite very much tied to the landscape and to the place um what i think generally i think a lot of people care about monumental structures a lot especially if they're old and i find it quite interesting of why why do you think people are interested in brocks like why what is something what is the, the thing about that monumentality that kind of shape that kind of the fact that it's still there what is the draw well, I think and yeah, sorry, go why on. do people respond to it? I think you've maybe just really said it there is the, is the monumentality, the size, the, the, the kind of impressive scale and scope of these structures. Um, and to think that they're 2,000 years old, that people were capable of, of creating such impressive constructions, um, you know, long before the introduction of, of kind of power tools and, and you know, complex kind of engineering solutions that we have today is just quite spectacular but i think the other reason is that we don't although they are present on the landscape and we see them everywhere and we can post as many photographs of them as we like we don't we we still don't really understand what they were used for fundamentally um i think they still hold that kind of mystique and that a powerful kind of mysticism about them given that they are still kind of relatively um difficult to interpret or that they certainly th- they throw up kind of, um, contradictory interpretations and understandings of what they might have been used for. They're just they're also just quite beautiful, I think, set in the landscape. That kind of they seem almost natural. In fact, in many cases, they are mistaken for kind of you know natural tors or hills. Many people didn't know that a, that a, that a brock was a brock, and they they thought it was just a hill as, as well. But to think that these things were created by people two thousand plus years ago and they now they still exist on the landscape i think is very touching and in many ways links you know it, it, i think touching back on what ian said about providing uh, people with a kind of sense of identity i think archaeology certainly for me and p- probably for other people as well is a really important part of my culture um and, and my kind of my identity as someone from caithness and as someone from scotland and we can kind of talk about these things as being emblematic of being Scottish, and I think that's perhaps a kind of rambling answer to, to your question there. I think Tristan, but I think that, yeah, certainly. Long story short, they're quite mysterious. They're they're impressive to look look at, and you know, above all else, they're Scottish. Yeah, part of uh, what the Brock Project wants to do is encourage people to come to Caithness and to go out into the landscape and explore. And the fact that we've got 200 Brocks spread out over the whole county, it means that you can't really go anywhere in the county without coming across a Brock. So to encourage people, it's not like we expect people to be obsessed with Brocks as what we are, but what we hope to do is is to send them on a little mission, a little adventure out there to go and find a Brock. It's not all about 
just the brock itself it's about the the journey from the car park through the landscape to find the brock and sometimes that's as rewarding as the brock itself there's the nature there's other things on the way there's castles cairns standing stones so we're, we're trying to use brocks as a tool to, to get people to open their eyes and explore the county you know it wasn't always all just about brocks. It was about trying to get people out into the county and to get them to notice the other things that you see on the way to, on your journey to the brocks, you know? That is really, like, I think, no, that that is really what I was looking for, was a kind of description of how these brocks fit in with other pieces of heritage on the landscape. Do you think there's perhaps, do you think there's aspects of intangible heritage that are tied to these monuments is there a feeling of being inside a brock that you've ever felt yourself is there something special about being there i i um actually that that has a second question attached to it what is the most complete brock that we have at the moment uh, which is the most like i understand that some of them are uh, most of them are ruins but uh, are there any that are actually quite still quite well preserved I mean, I think I'd answer the first part of this question, then I would let Ken uh, answer the second part about the intangible heritage that uh, that can be associated with brocks. But the most intact brock in, in Scotland is Musa Brock in Shetland, and that's situated on a on a small island on its own. And for that reason, it was never quarried or destroyed. It remained the same for 2,000 years. Now. So we still have one full intact brock. But it's a bit of a bad example of a brock, really. It's a, it's a bit of the... A, peculiar one because it's a bit like going down the street and um, taking a dwarf at a house and saying this is what everyone in the street looks like uh, Musa Brock, the, the sizes and dimensions are unlike most other brocks it's a, a very small small brock if you like, so so it's a shame that that image of Musa has kind of been ingrained in people's consciousness of what a brock a brock is because it's the, the dimensions are unlike other brochs but the, the other two mostly complete examples are Duntelv and Duntrodden near Glenelg and they're not quite as complete as as Musa, but they're they're a better representation of the dimensions and sizes of other brocks in the landscape. And I think I'd like Ken answer the, the second part of the question about the intangible heritage associated with brocks, and I could tell you a couple of stories about the uh, stories at Ousdale that, that don't necessarily relate to the brock, but they are information and heritage that we find out just by studying brocks. Well, I think anything to do with intangible elements of archaeology is viewing dangerously close to archaeological theory there Tristan and that's something I just sat a few uh, days ago and I, I don't think I went I, I, I certainly wouldn't consider myself an archaeological theorist by any means after that exam um, but, but I think I think yeah looking at being in a broch it is quite an I, I, just an all I can think of is the word interesting experience but it is quite a magical experience as well and you can kind of relate to to people um, back in history who might have associated these areas with fairies and trolls and kind of uh, legends and dark stories, things like that. So there is, they've always held this kind of certain place in popular imagination as just being areas of importance. And certainly if you want to look at that for a, you know, a kind of more analytical way, then the Vikings realised this. The Vikings, when they came to Scotland, they reused a lot of, say, cairn sites and brock sites as areas of, or kind of statements of of power by utilising areas or, or, or the mounds in the landscape, which people 
held in some sort of deep regard, you know, they were they were asserting their control because they understood that these places were in some way important to people, and they still are. And going to to Ian's story of of of, of Ousdale, I mean, there there's numerous cases of of there being burials at Brocks as well. Um, for instance, at Castle Hill there was a, a Viking burial, and at Ousdale there was what's known as a um, a deviant burial, and this is a kind of case of a, of a burial which may or may not have been Iron Age, um, but of a kind of a burial is just basic a deviant burial. Sorry, it's just basically any burial that is besides the norm of your of your standard burial. And this burial in particular was was buried face down. Um, we don't really know why or for what reason they were buried face down, but it's not a particularly um, uh, uh, not quite sure of the word, not a, not a particularly distinguished burial, if you like. It's 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 difficult to say what what it could have been used for. It may have been that this person in the community was disliked. It could have been a murderer, uh, a burglar. Who who knows? We don't we don't really know. But there's there's certainly some. <sighs> uninterpretable un- sort of elements to that to that story um but certainly it, that's another story the, the fact is that these brocks have held some meaning and some importance to people and i i really liked i think you might have seen kenny brophy's tweet the other day where he talks about i believe that prehistory really matters you know you know because it retains a presence tangible and otherwise and i think Oops, I think essentially that um, that's that's the answer there, is that we don't really know why these places are important to us, but they are. Kenny, Kenneth, I don't know if you'd noticed my response to Kenny's tweets the other day. I, I, saw, I saw that as well. We are we are haunted by the past. I I think you said something like that. Is, yeah, it's Derrida's kind of hauntology. It's this idea that the past is not a passive subject in the mm. present. It's actually an active agent in a future uh, in creating the future through the present. I yeah. think we're constantly uh, flitting between all these three things uh, because I think there's a, there's a bit of a, 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 a like a pseudo psychosis of uh, imagining yourself in that past but never being able to capture that past in itself yeah, you know very, this is why i think very yeah. phenomen- phenomenological there that's that's that's, that's a word I, that's a word i have learned in my archaeology so there we go <laughs> you see i love that kind of stuff i love the 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 almost spiritual aspect of phenomenology and experience because i think there's there's a there's a problem there's a problem with heritage uh, as it currently is communicated to the public that a lot of people, it feels very superficial at times. And it feels like heritage is this nice, cute little thing that people do. And, you know, oh, I'm going to go and see this lovely thing. And that's it. And at the end of the day, you're, that's, that's the, you've, you've got your culture, you've obtained your culture quota, and you're going to come home and then you're going to stick the footy on you're going to order fish and chips and you know that it's got oh i have got a few pictures from it oh i I tweeted about it but it doesn't seem to how do we how do we even capture the kind of like the the deeper significance of heritage you know the fact is that like we'd always felt that um, that, that, um, 
you know, heritage, like you say, it's the kind of thing that people just go out and they, they see uh, skulls and bones and, and dusty museum glass boxes, you know, and it, they don't really get a sense of anything from it, really, you know, no sense of what that person was about or anything. So the Brock Project, we kind of hope to create, uh, build a Brock and operate it as a living history tourist attraction. So instead of heritage being glass boxes and reading panels in your mind, it becomes something that pick up that sword and make the Iron Age scorn round a fire. You're actually living this history out you know, you're, you become part of it uh, in the hope that it really starts to paint a far more vivid picture of the past than than what a, a traditional museum offers you know is there um is there any kind of like um it, it has have you ever had inspiration from what other museums and open air uh things are doing is there any place that you feel is kind of doing something similar to this Definitely, you know, um, I mean, closer to home, the Cranach Centre there, I mean, that's always been an inspiration to us, even though it began as a purely experimental archaeological project. Um, I don't think they really intended to create a tourist attraction. They were just trying to work out how to build a Cranach. But uh, at the top, the icing of the cakes really got by Gildeon in France, where they're, they're rebuilding a 13th century castle using uh, completely traditional techniques. It's, it's the, com- the complete purist's approach. And I think the... One of the, the fascinating things about that is they're not coming to see a finished castle. They're coming to see people building a castle. So it's not the, the, the finished attraction. It's the, the process of constructing it as an attraction of it in its own right. And we, we kind of hope that the Brock Project would pan out in a similar way. It's not about uh, quickly building to get the thing done to, to charge tourists to come through the door. It's about taking our time, making sure we do this right, and, try, and to try and make uh, a fascinating story of the construction of the Brock itself and how much can be learned about the past by, by doing this I'm just wondering, how many people do, does it take to build a Brock? Like, when when you say you want to like build a Brock, get people in to do it, like how do you even like how do you even work out how many people that would take nowadays to even do i mean there has been some studies into this uh, john barber has done some uh, pretty in-depth studies into this way you'll see archaeology um or, or of his own backlink but a lot of these were database studies so they, they didn't uh, take into account um human activity like needing to go to the toilet or stopping for lunch or whatever it was just looking at uh, how much stone could someone build in x amount of hours you know so although the data might have been handy i don't think it can really inform us too much about building this in modern times because we've got so many other factors to take into account modern health and safety and things like that you know so some of the the data-driven assessments although they were quite uh, enlightening I don't think it's going to be transferable to us as, as the Brock project. Um, so when we go to build it, I think it will be built in, built in seasons. Um, so we'll, we'll look at getting up to the first floor scarcement height in one season. And part of that reason is that um, instead of working throughout the winter, we might ask volunteers to come along. Uh, and some of that wouldn't be a true... The, the pace of that job wouldn't be a true reflection of the pace of an Iron Age job of, for the modern implications for those reasons you know and uh, it's quite interesting like in contrast with that place in france that was trying to do it as a you know like a pure recreation i wonder if changing the way in which the thing is built uh in terms of like doing it in seasons uh with all the modern complications and uh, you know the things you have to think about nowadays i wonder if 
you know, that also makes it a modern Broch at the end of the day, you know, in a manner of speaking. It definitely, in the end, it probably will have to be, uh, there's going to have to be some concessions that we're going to make uh, through the design in order to get this passed off through modern building control standards. So, uh, say door sizes, uh, if you want to get plan permission and building a building control certificate for a modern structure, you're going to have to have wheelchair access size fire escapes. But obviously, if you look at Brock construction, none of the doorways or openings are really that big. So we've had to look closely at different Broch door opening sizes to try and find one that, that uh, possibly matches a uh, modern configuration. You know? so, but what we tried to do is approach this purely uh, uh, from the purest vantage to begin with, to, to create a, a pure archaeological model and then to slowly make concessions to uh, build a control as we go. You know, There's, um, I mean, the thing is, it's not, you know, Bilderbrock is one of the main kind of projects underneath the Caithness Brock project, but there's been a lot of stuff that you all have done uh, in the meantime. Like, I, I'm pretty sure there's quite a lot of Brock associated merchandise around. Um, I've seen quite a few Caithness Brock project tees uh, around. You, you do love having the t shirts out there. Um, what else has been made in the shape of a Brock because of the Caithness Brock project? <laughs> Um, what hasn't <laughs> yeah that's a bit uh, lots of stuff i guess um but yeah thanks for the thanks for the brock tea plug available uh, from yeah. one good one good shop <laughs> and our online shop as well um i i think cakes cakes seem to be a very popular medium for for brocks i'm aware of at least three cakes yeah. somebody built a gingerbread built a shortbread a, a gingerbread yeah it was a gingerbread you're right um brock in December, it was absolutely incredible, <laughs> and uh, yeah, cakes seem to be a, a, a very popular medium for um, for brock building, um, Lego and of brock. course Lego brock as well. Um, that was one of our ventures in two thousand and seventeen. One of the one of this kind of steps on the on the ladder to to getting bigger and better projects, if you like. And so, brick to the past, whom everyone should go and try and follow if they can. By the way, they're absolutely brilliant. Uh, they built us a, a two a ten thousand piece Lego Brock in two thousand and seventeen, which we displayed in Caithness Horizons for a few months, and was a was a really really big hit, I think, um, for 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 all the visitors. In fact, one one wee lassie drew us a wee picture of 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 a of the world, um, and then she said underneath it, "This is the best Brock in the world." Uh, but then one of my friends pointed out that it was also the only Lego Brock in the world, so it kind of nullified the, the effect a little bit. No, 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 no. <laughs> it can still be both, okay? I'm standing... <laughs> that little girl was correct, You'll okay? Get... <laughs> That's good. There was also a Minecraft Brock uh, where we, we acquired some laptops so that we could take the laptops around schools and to kids' groups to try and get them to, to build a Brock in Minecraft. That's like a little wee digital Lego game, if you like, where they, they, they make their own structures by placing, placing blocks, you know? So we, we felt it was an important thing to to try and teach children what brocks were, because let's face it, education about this starts as a child, you know? This is how you, you install a sense of cultural identity into a population, by uh, letting them know about their heritage at an early age. So we always thought that uh, 
you know, kids history has been seen as a bit of a dry and boring subject for kid for children. Like so, the way that we went about doing this was basically thought, well, what are kids really into? Well, they like Lego, chocolate, and computer games. So we just thought, well, that's it. We'll just make uh, chocolate brocks, Lego brocks, and Minecraft brocks. And it really worked. You know, the kids seem to absolutely love it. They all seem to know what a broch is now, so that's mission complete for us. Helps if you like those stuff, those things as well. Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure one or two chocolate brochs went missing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm interested. How, how do you? I mean, what sort of, um, you know, when? So what sort of stage are you at with the building a Brock thing at the moment? Uh, the build a Brock project. What stage is happening? at the moment we've been uh, we're still in the site selection phase although we, we had selected a site a few years ago um, as the project developed we looked at the amount of land that we're going to need the, the space we're going to need to do this and we, we felt that we should really go back and have another go at making sure that we've got the best site possible so for the last uh, 18 months to two years we've been searching across the whole county for available pieces of land to to build a broch on it and uh, we've we, we're working with a, an architect and a, a consultancy firm to help us to make that decision we've also got um a 3d model that we've made on uh, construction plans but obviously you can't bring them forward any further until you've selected the site that you put it on so we, we've really been held back a little bit by uh, site selection for the last wee while but we're convinced that doing this slow and methodically is a way to do it rather than just rushing in uh, with what you've got you know who helped you put together a architectural plan of a broch? How, what what did you? Is it is it a bit of a Franken broch, or yeah, is it a, a recreation a of a broch in particular? Well, at the time I was actually working uh, for my the chairman of the the charity at the moment, Robin Herrick. I was I was working with him, uh, doing his house up like, and he's obviously a design engineer. Uh, to trade like so when i explained what the bro project we're doing and what we were trying to get put together he, he offered his services to uh to render a 3d model for us so we both worked together to to come up with a chimera broch if you like that has the best aspects of of most brochs that are still there the right door sizes the the correct heights for the floors and we worked together to put that together but uh, eventually Robin became part of the project rather than employed by the project. He, he really took the broch pill and and became ingrained in the project. And now Robin is our chairman. So that's kind of the way the broch project goes. People get into it as an idea and then, then they become part of it. You've got quite a team uh, at the moment at the Caithness Broch project. Um, who's all on board? What does everybody do? Uh, we have a number of committee members who've, who've, who've joined over the last few years. Um, some haven't lasted quite as long as others. Some have left throughout, um, um, throughout our sort of existence. But just now we've got um, we've got Don Mackay, who is a technician's assistant. I think is that right, Ian? Draft person, technician's assistant, architect's assistant for, um, and has been kind of crucial to a lot of. Um, parts of the project, especially the Owsdale Burn uh, conservation project, for instance, she was really kind of very useful in, in the um, planning of, say, or dealing with the roads department, because you've got to factor in, you know, signage installation, parking, uh, planning applications, things like that. And so, so 
Dawn's been able to slot herself into these sort of circumstances really well. And I've no doubt when the Brock build comes to comes to comes to fruition, then Dawn will have you know some a, a huge say in these sort of aspects as well. We've also got Chris Aitken, who is an IT teacher from Wick High School from Keese. Uh, he uh, loves loves Keithness, Keithness born and bred, um, and he has been really useful in again so anything to do with IT. Um, 3D printing, he does, he's really involved with that. Uh, Minecraft, he's been involved with creating a kind of full-sized Minecraft uh, map for, for Caithness. Um, but he's also got a real interest in history and local history as well. So he's been doing a lot of things to do with John Nicholson, for for example, investigating sites that he looked at um, and has been sort of recently chatting to John Nicholson's grandson as well. So that's been really nice to have him on board too. We recently we've we've had Magnus Davidson who works at the ERI and has interest in sort of energy uh, and the population kind of and the kind of just the economics of of Caithness and Sutherland over the last over the last you know century or so. Sarah Lamb works for I think for the Highland well it's going to be the Highland Council uh, again another sort of proud Caithnesian and we we were delighted to have her on board too. Um, Sarah Herrick deals with finance uh, that that has just been. An absolute godsend, actually, to find, trying to find someone who is able to do and good at, in fact, kind of finance matters is worth their weight in gold because that's just such a imp- integral part of any organisation. And so, to get someone who has, you know, so many, who's so well versed in it has been has been a, has been brilliant. Um, we also have Joanne Howdell, who used to work at Caithness Horizons, and I think is the only one in our group who has a degree in archaeology. Um, and a master's degree at that too. Um, so she is able to lend that Alex. To, the, to the team. Uh, Alex Groves as well, who I think it's a forensic archaeology degree, to be fair, um, but that's no less uh, useful. But she's been dealing with our merchandise and our shop. Um, so just having people able to, you know, whether they're doing a little bit or they're doing a lot has been, I think sharing the load has been crucial to, maintaining a balance for everybody because you don't want to give them nothing to do and you don't want them to be overloaded which i think robin is (laughs) frankly Uh, and certainly myself and ian it was really just myself and ian for quite some time and that's it's hard going so you've really got to share out all the all the the kind of jobs and um, everybody's got different strengths and weaknesses strengths and weaknesses really you know and to to begin with to get the the project off the ground you feel like you're you're all singing all dancing everything you know but over time you realize that people are best placed in their areas of strengths and weaknesses and you know there's no need to keep all the cards to yourself you know so i think it's been a, a crucial part of the development of the project is extending the team um, out to people that are best suited for the roles, you know. Yeah, they've all got keen and in- they've all got some sort of key-, key skill that they bring to the table, or they've got keen insight into, say, um, I don't know, Sarah Sarah Lamb, for example, has great insight into kind of grants funding and things like that. So, um, or they've just got an interest in archaeology, or they're all just they want to see change in Caithness as well. So, I think they've all got that kind of and 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 bucket loads. I think. Uh, and everybody that's bought that's bought into the Brock project feels the same way about uh, about Caithness. It's not necessarily just for love of Brocks. I think everyone's seen why it is we're trying to do what we're trying to do and the actual need, the palpable need for this in the county right now. And that's the reason that they, they've really become inspired and got on board with the Brock project. It's, it's not just for the love of archaeology and Brocks. It's really for the way that, that we hope that this will change the community. Mm-hmm. Where do you think the Caithness project will be in the next five years? 
What's what? Sorry, did, uh, did you say Kenneth Broth Project there? Broth. Broth. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny we, we went to an event once and, and Ken got given a name name tag that said the Kenneth Broth Project. <laughs> Never forget. I think they actually did. They did. They did think we were going to come there and make soup. That's a pretty good idea. Uh, it's probably more. That's a new idea. Honestly, tin can. <laughs> I mean, when the Brock Cafe is built beside our Brock belt, we will be serving Brock broth for sure. That is one of the great things about Brock. Uh, obviously, this episode would be typed, titled uh, Between a uh, Brock and a Hard Place. Um, Brock has a lot of um, funny, kind of like you can make a number of puns out of but it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, think, I think we exist on puns. Like. Brock and roll, that's, <laughs> that's the go to. Do you have a favourite Brock uh, pun? I quite like we, we we as part of the uh, festival, kind of a archaeology festival that we did in two thousand and seventeen. Um, some pupils drew drew Brocks or what what a Brock might look like in the future, or their or their interpretation of a Brock. And somebody drew a Brocktopus, which was the Brock with eight <laughs> arms. Which I quite liked. I thought that was quite silly. Um, but yeah, it does lend itself quite quite nicely to, to puns i'm still trying to tweet Dwayne the rock johnson with with some sort of with some sort of pun but he's not replying Dwayne i think rock uh, johnson oh. brocktoberfest is probably the most successful pun that we've had um i think i think we can attribute that one to ken but it was basically we created a a, a yearly festival or we got involved with a yearly festival uh to to have a, a conference each year to discuss the brocks and archaeology and what had been learned about brocks that year, you know. So we, we share that alongside with the uh, Orkney UHI and and the crew in Orkney, really, you know. Each year we, we go over there and we, we give a talk and we, we get the crack with them. I just had a really good idea. Um, you know how you're saying brock and roll? Like, is it possible once this brock is built to have like a concert inside the brock? <laughs> maybe, like, yeah, no, maybe a, a nice quiet folk session. I'm not sure we could really. I'm not, not sure how how health and how health and safety would be if we said we're going to hold concerts and the metal concerts in the in the brock in the brock. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I could I could certainly cool. imagine that the acoustics of a brock would lend itself quite nicely yeah, to some sort of musical. Um, yeah. Dissonance. Something. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. When, when we completed the work at Achvarasdale, we, we put uh, 16 tonnes of chips down at Achvarasdale Broch because it had a problem with giant hogweed. So it was one of the smaller conservation projects we did. We put uh, tarpaulin down and put 16 tonnes of chips in. But as soon as that was done, when you stood in the middle of the broch, the acoustics were just remarkable. And uh, my partner, Don, had said, uh, this would be absolutely great for a gig, you know, uh, like a classical concert you know so not so much like crowds of people but just to get a band or, or a, a group to play inside the brock you know and record it that would be really cool record it so it might be something that might happen yeah you know oh definitely it has to it's on a podcast and it has to <laughs> we'll give you we'll give you the honor of coming up with a pun to name that event right? i i will work on it it will be my life's work it will be everything <laughs> I- i've ever wanted to work on <laughs> i think going, going back to the question of where we'll be in five years time um it's 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 hard to say i think i i would like to hope that we would have started building our brock by then i think we're probably at least a year away at least at the very least a year away from from doing anything physical probably more like two or three years but i'd like to think in five years time we we may have 
at least sort of got some way through the construction of a broch. Um, I mean, it's 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 a long, slow process, but I think Ian mentioned before as well, it's got to be done right. And so we can't hurry through this. We can't rush anything. And it's not just a kind of, for any kind of vain reason that we want to build this broch. It's, it's potentially a kind of a key part of the development of Caithness over the next 20 to 30, 40, 50 years. So it is... A long drawn out process but i'm sure it'll be worth it if we do it right yeah i mean the, the next stage for us really once we've selected the site is to try and get um, a plan of remission and um, build a, a structural engineer certificate on the the design itself uh, that could be quite a lengthy process of argument and concession until we've got something that we, we can get a couple of engineers to sign off you know so it's it's hard to put a time scale on how long that that part of the project might take, but as soon as that part's complete, uh, we'll know how much it's going to cost, and then there's going to be what could be a long period of time trying to raise the funds to actually do this. Of course, uh, what material would you be using for a broch? Like, would hopefully we'd be using uh, the famous Caithness stone. So Caithness is a, a relatively flat county and it's been famed across the world uh, for its flat flagstone. It's often cited that the, the streets of New York are paved in Caithness stone because it's flat laminar nature. You know? uh, do people for, is, I'm guessing it's only people from Caithness who say that though, come on. Uh, yeah, but I probably think so. Like, I think we've seen a few people in New York standing on, on the sidewalk going, I've got a bit of caithness underneath my feet. <laughs> well, I, don't, I, I can't even think of a New York accent at the moment. Oh, I'll, I'll leave that for a bit. I'll leave that for another time. Um, but yeah, the, the, the stone of caithness is, is remarkably uh, square and flat uh, and quite a, a, a strong hardware-wearing stone like so we'd hope to that the broch itself would be a good advertisement for Caithness stone itself you know uh, as a as a county that's famed for its stone what what better advertisement could it have than a a large iconic structure built purely out of stone yeah absolutely i think it would really yeah it's, it's a great advertisement but it also brings back i think i don't know if we've touched on this is the, the whole idea of but i kind of another key reason for the construction of the broch is is promoting and developing and um, I suppose reinvigorating the the dry stone industry in, or the dry stone diking industry in Caithness as well, which used to be such a important part of, of Caithness and of its culture was the fact that we had so many dry stone walls and dry stone dikes in Caithness and now there's only a handful of these dikers left. And so we'd hope that this would really um, bring back what was an incredibly important skill and ability in, in Caithness and bring it back to the kind of forefront of, of traditional skills. I mean, the, the, we always say that the way the project's been uh, planned out is a kind of three-pronged attack. Uh, initially, it's a, a, a pure experimental archaeological project where we hope to, to find out as much as we can about the past and how they built these structures by actually recreating one. Uh, the second part of it is a, a dry stone digging and traditional skills workshop where we would uh, put on workshops not just to do with Caithness stone and dry stone building, but uh, round wood, timber framing, thatching, pottery, iron working, all these types of uh, skills. You'd be able to come to the broch and, and learn these and run, run courses here about these different types of skills to, to try and preserve some of the, the, the dying trades that are out there. 
and the final part of this is to create an iconic tourist attraction you know so it's it's kind of a, a project with many facets uh, and each time we, we hit a milestone we move on to a different facet of the project and if people are interested in finding out more about the project or even getting involved what are the kind of things that you would say to people who are interested in the Caithness Brock project well, um, there are a number of ways to keep in touch with us and uh, to find out more, you can visit our website. It's www.thebrockproject.co.uk. Um, and if you wish, you can join as a friend, which is it's completely free to do that. It will only take you 30 seconds um, and it really helps us to sort of show that there is support and want for this project to happen. Uh, you can also, if you're in Caithness, you can become a member. Um, it only costs £10 a year. Um, you can also follow us on social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We haven't yet um, broached TikTok. I don't think we will, um, unless Ian fancies doing a synchronised dance with me in Akvarasdale Broch. Uh, but I don't think... TikTok. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help, I couldn't help it. That's absolutely awful. <laughs> but yeah, uh, or just you can they can give us an email if they have any questions in particular, then it's just the Caithness Broch Project. Um, at gmail.com we're also on youtube but we don't post that so often unfortunately excellent excellent well thank you both uh for coming on and talking about the caithness brock project um all, all the details for wherever you can find the caithness brock project matters will all be in the show notes um so finally um i actually i i'm starting to ask all my guests um kind of like um advice on doing stuff to do with heritage if somebody was wanting to start a, a project like the Caithness Brock project or like a heritage project uh, where you're kind of bringing together kind of people together where there's a sense of cultural community and stuff like that what are the things that you would have liked to know when you started the Caithness Brock project and what sort of advice would you pass on um, I, th- I think some of the challenges that we faced are more in organising a business, really. You know, uh, it's great to have a good idea, and I would always encourage anybody who's got an idea for heritage to pursue it and to break it down into small steps. But I think most people in the heritage world aren't going to be ready and equipped for the whole business side of things that comes along with us. You know, so it really is to to check out your business help and to make sure that you've got a community of people around you that understand that aspect of the financial side of it and the the governance of a group side of things, you know, because that's something that every, every group's going to have to open up a shop front and you might be good at archaeology and you might be good at history and absolutely useless at business. So uh, that would be my advice if you want to take your project forward is to find people that aren't necessarily into the same things as you and to find out what skill sets they have. Yeah, I think that's a really good piece of advice is I think the money side of things, the finance side of things and the governance, completely new. I'd never done anything like that before in my life. I worked in a call centre and then all of a sudden I'm essentially running a business, if you like, or a charity. So it's, there, there are organisations out there which will give you help. I think maybe my, my key takeaway is to try and get the, or try and gauge the, the interest from the community. Um, we only kind of, we didn't have a clue if many people were interested in the Baroque project until we went out and did talks. And especially when we went out and tried to get membership and people were quite happy to sign up for a, for whatever it was a year or at the time. Um, so that was quite important. And the other kind of 
point I'd like to make is, is kind of be nice, network as soon as you can and get to know people in the in the heritage sector, in the archaeology sector, because you may come back to rely on them for advice or for support uh, or for kind of anything like that. So so networking and um, just being a, a nice person is, will, will go a long way, I think, for you as well. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.